0: Hi, and welcome to The Bottom End, a podcast series for people living with Crohn's or colitis. My name's Luke Eskom, and I'll be chatting with my fellow ambassador for Crohn's and Colitis Australia, Brittany Nichol, as well as Justin Singh, about our lives with IBD. And hopefully we'll be having a bit of fun along the way. We'll be getting down and dirty answering those tricky questions that you might be afraid to ask in person. And in every episode, I'll get some medical insights from gastroenterologist Dr. Ed Giles. Today, we'll be talking about living with IBD, the things we all deal with day to day, and giving you the lowdown on what we wished we knew in our teens and 20s. So thanks to ABV and Crohn's and Colitis Australia for helping us get this series out there. We hope you'll find it useful. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Bottom End with me, Luke Eskin. I'm here with Brittany Nickel and Justin Singh. And we're talking about living with Crohn's disease. All right, let's dive in. Um, one of the things, one of the challenges we have as advocates is trying to put into a uh, a snapshot or a soundbite, what's it like to live with Crohn's? So I'm sure this is a, a question that you've had put at you before. Brittany, how would you sum it up in a couple of sentences? Is it possible?
1: Not really, but I'll try. Um, yeah, summing it up, it, it's exhausting. I'll, I'll admit that. It, it's, it's draining, it's exhausting, It's it's challenging and... It tests you in more ways than one—not just physically, but mentally as well. So, you know, living the disease, it, it's difficult, but it's definitely doable.
0: And, and Justin, let's talk about the physical landscape of Crohn's. Public toilets. What are you? What are you doing on a daily basis? What's your physical activity yeah. with Crohn's?
2: It's like playing uh, leapfrog. Like you got to really plan uh, where your next toilet break is. So, uh, especially when working. Uh, commuting to the city, it's really hard um, to catch a train as well because you don't know when you're going to poop your pants. Um, yeah, and then also, like, uh, at work or, like, at school, going, I need to go to the toilet, like, every five minutes, that's, uh, that's always difficult. Um, but the... Yeah. Also, like hygiene. People pee on t- on toilet seats these days. Like, especially in the public. you like, I, I think that's
0: been going on for quite a while. Wow. Actually, the peeing on the toilet seats. Yes. I don't. I don't think people have got worse over time. I think it's just a <laughs> fairly standard thing, isn't <laughs> it's, it? It's innate human. Does it happen in the girls as well?
1: I've seen some pretty messed up situations in women's oh, toilets, so I will say yes. I
0: always assume yeah. it's like pink and beautiful, it and with like smells harps nice. playing. Look, and there's music, a lot that do, but like yeah, there's a lot that
1: don't. You're like, what? How? Mm, don't even know how it happens.
0: And and um, have you ever had trouble with um, like using a toilet in a restaurant? Have okay, you had that situation of, of like, look, I need to go to the toilet right now. Can I use your toilet? And having this uh, conflict. Brittany, is that something you've come across?
1: I have, yes, and there's situations where it's like, well, you haven't purchased anything from the restaurant or this line of business, so you've got to be a customer to use the toilet. I'm like, well, I'll just buy anything. Can I use your toilet now?
2: What about you, Justin? Yeah, you know so it's um, initially it's very hard to have that conversation and, and saying, or even with bosses saying, look, I do go to the toilet quite a bit, um, can you... Can we like, can I have some leniency? So it's, it, yeah, it's hard. It Getting used to having that conversation and having it pre-scripted and, and, and practicing it uh, helps quite a lot.
0: Yeah. Have you found, um, was it something you feel at a job interview you need to mention, uh, that you might need to go to the toilet a lot? Brittany?
1: For me, it, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's almost like the dating scene, like when's a good time to bring it up? Um, but. Yeah, I've been very lucky with the employment history that I've had and very accommodating with me having to use a toilet quite often. And um, I guess for me, it's one of those things of like, okay, well, I'm now working full time, but they need to understand that at the drop of a hat, I could actually end up in hospital, not just a toilet, but need an extended period of time off work.
0: It shouldn't really be a big deal. Let's talk about Things like stomach cramps, and I mean, let's see, let's let's do a checklist. Like, uh, who's who's suffered from stomach cramps before? We've all had stomach cramps, right? Yep. Yep. Abscess. Yep. Yep. Fistula. Yep. Yep. Stricture. Yep. Yep. We've got we've, we've got them all. It's like a high five moment. We've yeah. had, pretty much got
1: all of them right now. Uh, am <laughs> I missing it? Oh, the
0: perforation. Has anyone had that? The sort of emergency. I uh, yeah, of? I think so. What are some of the ways you describe that that Pain that stricture, fistula, cramp, pain. Uh, Justin,
2: um, it's I often describe it like having uh, a knife jabbed into your into the side of you, or like uh, being pregnant or having period pain. Even though I've never had a period before, because I'm a boy, we can we can relate. Yeah, <laughs> we can relate, I'm girls. Like, yeah, we understand. Yeah, and when someone goes, "I'm going through that time, it's really sore," I'm like, "I know." I've we been there with the you. Period. All night. No. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then you just become immune to it. You're like, I oh, am.
0: Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like um, you get better at handling the pain, or what? What? How? How do you? How do you deal with the pain?
1: I think it's not a matter of there's less pain there. It's more so, yeah, learning to, I guess, overcome that pain threshold. And it's one of those things, you know, you're in hospital give me on a scale of 1 to 10 what your pain number is. It's like, well, yeah, I might say a 3, but someone else it might be at 20. So it's one of those things that, um, yeah, it's learning to deal with it. And I guess after being diagnosed at such a young age, it becomes part of life and you learn to, I guess, accept what it is by then learning of other ways to try and switch off and focus on other things instead of necessarily the pain that's going on.
0: And we have good days and bad days. I mean, what's a good day, you think? What, what do you um, – has, has, has your idea of what a good day has changed over time? Yeah, absolutely. Have your standards of a good day got better?
2: <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, since I had my bag put on, uh, a good day – like, every day is a good day, every single day, because I have no symptoms. I don't experience symptoms. Uh, a bad day was, um, before that, having stomach cramps, waking up, vomiting straight away after having certain medications, then, like, having no energy and being forced to go to school, sitting in there, not being able to, like, concentrate, and then uh, having to go to the toilet, try and push out something that wouldn't... Like, I just want to sit down, go and push out a poo, but there's nothing that comes out, just, like, blood or, like, pus, and then uh, doing that every hour on the hour. And then wanting to eat, and every time I ate... Um, a couple of hours later, I would just feel jabbing pain in my gut. And then uh, not being able to sit down properly, and uh, because it was so sore, because I just had like an um, abscess removed, like the size of a golf ball from my bum. Mine um, was the
0: size of a golf ball as yeah. well. I imagine it exactly, exactly the how same it one. Sounds like we've all
1: got a good scar was on it, our butt. Yeah, <laughs>
0: absolutely. Was it one of those deals where it was the first abscess and you were embarrassed to tell anyone and so you just let it go for weeks? Yeah, yeah. How, how old were you when that happened? I was 14. That was how I initially got diagnosed was that I went to a very strict school. We didn't talk about bottoms. That was one of the rules. Yeah. And, uh, and I was too embarrassed even to tell my mum. So three weeks... Didn't say anything war to Brittany.
1: I have had that, yeah. I'd never really suffered with abscesses up until, I don't know, maybe like 2012, 2013. And I had an abscess form while I was actually in New Zealand for an event and I had to pull out of the event the day before I was to compete and ended up in hospital while I was over there. And I had that one happen. And then within a period of like 18 months, I probably had about another five more and it was like okay well i've had one now they're like now i'm getting several like how does this work
0: so how do we, how do you feel about having crohn's now let's justin uh, ask you i absolutely love it i
2: adore it it's what makes me me and um yeah it's i just love talking about it i love uh sharing about it which is the same as talking about it um yeah like they have it has limitations but i just feel like it's it's bringing compassion back into humanity and um, I have, like, my sole mission on the earth is so that no one suffers in silence with Crohn's. Like, I don't want anyone to be that lonely little boy at school uh, or, you know, in isolation and, or girl, right? Not gender, not excluding any genders here, but, um, yeah, so that so that no one um, suffers with it. And... It's the it's it's amazing. It's a blessing because it makes me feel uh, appreciative of what I have.
0: I wanted to just pick up something you said there about um, talking to the boys out there who feel lonely and isolated. It is it is necessary to talk specifically to them because statistically. Um, I I remember there was a national survey of people with IBD and 85% of the respondents were women. And when you go to support groups, it's nearly all females. And just generally, um, women, girls seem to be much better at talking about it. Boys, even though 50% statistically of people with IBD are boys, men, Mm. uh, we're not talking about it. Why aren't we talking about it? Yeah, because we're afraid that it, like, it... People will judge us
2: like, "Oh, what you your shit smells more than someone else's." Like, yeah, when my Crohn's was or IBD was really bad, um, yeah, my shits would be like it stink. Like when I farted. We should be proud of it. Shouldn't yeah, they? I know. Like, right down, I just threw down I, in there. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it's very. It's like everyone's macho. Everyone's like got their their stuff handled. It's, it's so exhausting, isn't it? All that yeah. nonsense. Yeah, but. um the the main thing that I would say to them is like at the end of the day that whole macho culture is like is, is slowly dying away and open up to your friends, like open up to them, like say be vulnerable. There's nothing wrong with being vulnerable because on the other side someone might pressure you like, dude, come on, let's go drinking or let's like let's go play footy and you go no, no, no and they're like, oh, come on, stop being a wuss and now you can like... If you go to your friends and say, "Look, the reason why I'm not doing this is because i was actually really afraid of sharing this with you," but I've got this condition, I've got cramps, and it's it's incurable. Like your mates will just stand behind you and go, "Oh my gosh, I'm so..." Like you get that support by, but you have to be willing to expose yourself and tell someone about we it. We need to have faith in
0: ourselves, don't we? Yeah, we're not. We're not, we're not really. You know, we we just um, we. We have a. Uh, we seem to have the wrong impression of what strength is. Yeah, and I think strength is that um, having that 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 confidence to to be real with your mates and yeah. to ask for support and to give support and to receive support. Sorry, we're just having a bit of a male bonding thing. <laughs> Go for it. So I'm just a listening. New man <laughs> session over here. Well, what about you, Brittany? How do you feel about having Crohn's disease now? Uh,
1: look, I I'll, I'll be the first to admit that it it's pretty much been hell and back to be honest if there was a cure that would arise tomorrow I'd be all for it and be like yeah definitely get rid of this disease it's already consumed my life enough but at the same time where I am right now without the disease and the past and the history that I've had with it I wouldn't be the person who I am today so I wouldn't take back what I've been through as such and as much as it's been difficult um, it's one of those things that it's like Justin said, it's made me more appreciative. It's it's taught me about compassion and and understanding and, you know, looking beneath the surface of what someone may appear okay, but behind closed doors they, they might be having, you know, an absolute hell of a time and not in a good way. So for me, as much as I struggled and don't like what I've been through I wouldn't be who I am without it and for that I'm actually thankful for the disease and the connections that I've made too. Like obviously I've met you two guys here and, and I've met f- a fair few people within the Crohn's and colitis circle that have either come through and they've they've got a bag or they've got Crohn's or colitis and without that, without having the disease, I would never have formed those friendships. So if, I am thankful for what it is and I am appreciative of the life I live because, you know, there's been times where I've almost not been here. It's almost taken my life. Mm
0: yeah i mean that's that's a kind of common thread when you speak to people who who do talk publicly about IBD is that uh, reaching that moment of acceptance and and then finding gratitude because life is better when you feel grateful for for all the things that you have but it, it feels like we're sort of naturally circ- circling into this this the the big conversation really about IBD at the moment is about mental health. The conversation we 're finally having at a, at a national level is about how IBD is just as much a, a mental health burden as it is a physical health burden. Um, when I mean, I, I, I've really only just acknowledged that after my diagnosis at the age of 14, I was pretty much depressed for about 15 years. Um, I had low self-esteem, I had a low sense of self-worth, I was socially isolated. I had I could you know tick off pretty much every box of a low-level depression, um, for for a very long time, um, what was what is your relationship to um, the idea of, of mental health with IBD? Starting when you were diagnosed, Brittany.
1: For me, the mental health aspect, like you, Luke, it's probably something I didn't talk about for such a long time, and and I kept just kind of putting it to the side. And you just you get to a point where you are like, well, do I have a right to feel like this? And the answer is yes, for starters. But um, yeah, from such a young age, it was always about the clinical and the the medical side of things with treatments and what the disease activity was. And there wasn't as much focus from the medical side either for the mental health aspect. And um, it's one of those things that as you gradually get older, it does impact on you more. And if you don't speak up and speak out about it, you're just bottling things up. And for me, it was like, even though I've always been quite open about my disease and my experiences and what I've been through and I've had amazing support networks. I've still suffered from the mental impact and even up until a month ago it it probably hit me hardest I think because... I'd had surgery mid-last year. It was meant to be a three-, four-month turnaround and then all of a sudden now it's blown out to 12 months and I just felt like every time I kept getting close to moving forward I was taking ten steps back and it was the same cycle. And it's been, you know, it's not just a, an overnight feeling that you end up feeling like that. It's literally it's one of those things that it's progressive and because it's such a monotonous routine and it's draining and it's exhausting, it eventually all just hits you. And... um I've always been one of those people who is like, you know what? I've got to look at the positives. I'm such a positive person. I've just got to keep pushing through. I'll get there. There's always someone worse off, but at the same time, you're like, you've kind of got to pull yourself out of that and go, you know what? There is someone else worse off, but I've got a very valid point into why I feel like I do, because it's it's draining.
0: I, I think that's so important is to recognise it, it, that that word you use there, uh, validation. Um, when you speak to someone else with IBD who's also having a really tough time, you realize it's okay for you to feel like you, you're just completely failing at life. It's okay. Whatever you're feeling, it's okay for you to feel like. You don't have to feel bad about feeling like that. You don't have to feel like you should be trying harder. Uh, what are some of the things that, that helped you? Or what are some of the, the sort of strategies that you use to uh, try and get yourself kind of back into life when you're feeling that way?
1: For me, it was simplifying things and turning around and going, you know what, I've got this amazing support network around me. And there was times where I was reluctant to speak out and speak up even to my parents, because I felt silly for actually feeling like that. And at the same time, I was like, you know what, I've got this amazing support network, I should be speaking to them about this. And now obviously, it gets talked about on a broader level. And it's more so just talking about it, you know, voicing how you feel instead of trying to hold it all in and trying to deal with it yourself because at the end of the day, it's not doing you any favors. If not, it's just making things worse.
0: Well, my name's Luke Eske. I've been sitting here with Justin Singh and uh, Brittany Nickel. We've been sitting on some comfy chairs, drinking coffee, eating pastries and talking about Crohn's disease on the bottom end. <laughs> now I'm going to talk again to Dr Ed Giles, paediatric gastro gut master, about uh, what it's like living with Crohn's. Um, Let's start with talking about treatment. People living with IBD know there's all kinds of different treatments. There's surgical procedures, there's all kinds of medications, there's tests that we have to do. Um, Do you think, um, first of all, do you think that your patients understand the treatments they're on and why, why they're on them?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question, Luke. I think that some do and I think some don't and the ones that don't, it's probably a our failure of explaining both to the young people and to their parents and I think sometimes we explain things once and assume it's understood. Um, and, of course, some of these things are quite technical and it's hard to know exactly what level of information people want. Not everyone wants to know every detail. Um, and I think the other thing is that when you... Get to know someone with IBD. You don't, as a professional, know what treatment they're going to end up on. So it's this—you know—I keep using this word journey, but it is this journey that you go on together to find the right treatment for each individual patient, and hopefully find a treatment that works for them, you know, in the long term that can keep them well.
0: Is there a bit of experimenting at the beginning?
3: Well, I think, yeah, I probably wouldn't use that word. I think we have very well-defined sort of algorithms of of practice. Um, and trying treatments generally in what we would describe a sort of step-up kind of ways, And some of that is to do with government regulation, but most of it's really to do with evidence that we've learnt, unfortunately, mostly from adult studies of of IBD. There are relatively fewer studies in, in young people. But I think we do have a lot of data and most of that information is quite translatable into into young people. And so we, I think we know quite well what steps to follow. We just don't know very well what's going to work for any individual. So it is a little bit of trial and error at that individual level, although in a very well-defined way.
0: I think everyone who's been on medication for a long term uh, worries about the safety of taking medications for a long time. How do you... you those this is systems. in
3: some ways, I think this is the hardest thing for particularly pediatric gastros at the moment is balancing the risks of our medications because I think when we start them, it can be very difficult to stop them, um, particularly when they 're effective um, and you know these are drugs that affect the immune system, so we take them very seriously, and there are patients who have side effects from them, and there are rare cases where you get very bad side effects in the long term. But I think the data is very, very clear. Um, with relatively long-term data, that the risks of untreated disease is much worse, both in the short term but also in the long term. And I think that you know we have to be, you know, we have to inform our patients. But it can be very difficult when people are sick and you're trying to get them better, and then you're saying we're going to give this medicine and it might give you cancer, and then it's it's you know a very difficult situation. Um, but I think doctors are very risk averse people generally. And we don't want to give a treatment that's going to make someone worse or give them something. We're trying to make people better, but we're trying to inform them as well. And it's it's a difficult balance.
0: And is that something you would have in the conversation where you're were prescribing this treatment for the first time? Yes.
3: Minute? And I think this is particularly challenging in young people because young people are going to have the disease for longer. They may have the medications for longer, so they're going to build up the risks for longer as well. But I think it's very clear that these risks are really very, very small. They're frightening, but they have very small risks. And that is in stark contrast to a young person in front of you who is ill with their IBD. And not only are they ill now, that we know that over time with under treatment, you're going to build up complications, including surgeries, but also including cancers and things like that related to the IBD, not related to the treatment. And so I think we... We are starting to understand risk in a long-term way but whether we're good at communicating that even to adults I think is not clear and it's particularly difficult trying to communicate simultaneously to a young person whose idea of risk is probably more around what they're going to do on Saturday night than what's going to happen to them in 20 years and their parents who have a very different perspective.
0: Ed, not many people have quite uh, as extreme a journey as uh, myself and Brittany and Justin. There's many different types of... uh, IBD experience. We all have an individual journey. Um, What what is the difference between uh, severe and uh, more moderate IBD?
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. I've been listening with great interest to you guys talking, and I think you've all had incredible stories to tell, but they are quite extreme stories in an IBD spectrum. I think definitely at the more extreme end of the patients that I would see, I think it's important that one thing that we're actually not very good at is predicting what sort of course people are going to have at that point. There are some clues sometimes about whether it's going to be a more milder journey or at the
0: more severe end. What is a a milder journey, would you say? I mean, we're talking about different physical symptoms?
3: Now, because I deal with young people with IBD, as a general unfortunately, young people do have a more severe course, so we don't see as many of the genuinely mild... Uh, particularly Crohn's disease that you might see in, in later onset IBD. Um, but nevertheless, there is a spectrum that can run through from people that may only require, you know, very mild medication. It would be unusual for us to see patients who are diagnosed in childhood or adolescence who can get away with no medication. That would be unusual. Um, but there's certainly a big variety from really needing minimal to, you know needing a lot of medication changes of medication and surgeries as unfortunately we've heard about
0: today could you talk to us a little bit about the mental health aspects of IBD recently it seems to be getting a lot more focused, but why are we only talking about this now i mean this must be something that you've seen over over the course of your career the way IBD affects someone's mental health their self-esteem uh, it might lead to them feeling isolated or marginalized
3: yeah well i think you know mental health in general has obviously been massively sort of under-recognised and I think probably only in the last 10 years is something that people are able to talk about more openly. You know, perhaps like IBD, these sort of hidden diseases really um, that people are embarrassed to talk about. And so this is a positive thing. I think the direct influence is quite complex but there's no doubt that a lot of patients with IBD have mental health problems and that there's that close relationship there. And I think unfortunately around the country, as I understand it, access... To psychological services in general is poor, but specifically in IBD clinics is almost non-existent. And so, while I think we are starting to understand the importance, I'm not sure we're still very good at at really doing anything about it apart from acknowledging it, which is something. But but it's still, I think, a, an area that lacks
0: resource. And what role do you think organisations like Crohn's Colitis Australia and and peer support can play in uh, in in addressing this mental health? Well,
3: I think it's absolutely critical. I think it's some, sometimes that can be as helpful or more helpful than professional support. I think, you know, we've talked about people being in a really dark place. We've heard stories from Justin and Brittany and yourself really about that. And I think meeting people, as, as, as you have done, who've been through that and are out the other side, you know, I've heard from my own experience of patients when they can talk to people who've, you know, had a stoma when they think they might be having one. And, you know, this can seem when you're already down, it's really like kicking someone when they're down. That's how I feel. You know, they're really sick and I'm saying they need a stoma, which I see and I think people understand that can be their journey out of the hole. But really for the young person that can just seem like, you know, I'm feeling terrible and you're going to make me feel worse. And that's understandable. So, but if you can meet people that have been in those dark places, but have been out the other end, I think that's incredibly powerful, actually.
0: What are some of the things you've learned from your patients about how they manage their IBD or how how they live with IBD?
3: I think I've learned so much from my patients and it's, I think it's difficult to articulate. I think that what can be amazing is how well people can cope with being so ill. You know, we've talked about how puberty i think and and school bullies these are these are sort of normal challenges that can be difficult for anyone and then you throw in being sick we've heard about perianal crohn's disease which we haven't talked much about but is really a particular challenge and relatively common in in young people with crohn's disease and i think particularly horrific and and embarrassing you know, I think you talk, you know, you certainly don't want to tell your yes, parents.
0: Yes, the, the golf ball-sized abscess. It was amazing. Justin and I had exactly the yeah. same description of that <laughs> undiagnosed abscess.
3: And I think these are really, you know, to have to deal with these things um, and being sort of being forced to grow up, I suppose, it's certainly in some ways, so much faster than their peers, having to, you know, talk about these things in a way that, you know, they don't want to. No one wants to talk about this stuff you know, outside of fart jokes, when you're that age, but it's suddenly really serious, and so I think the way young people can cope, the way young people can comfort their parents, you know, it's really can be very inspiring. I think to see, and then, and I think what I've sort of experienced is the way people grow up and do so well as young adults, um, and we've heard like stories from uh, from Justin and Brittany. Uh, like that, some sort of amazing stories, but uh, but I see that all the time.
0: That was Dr. Ed Giles. Thanks so much, Ed. This is Luke Eskam. We've been talking about living with Crohn's with Brittany Nickel, Justin Singh and Dr. Ed Giles here on The Bottom End. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to tune in to the other episodes in our series for more insights, revelations and general gut spilling hopefully only the metaphorical kind. We hope that sharing our stories will help all of you out there who are living with IBD, and we'd like to thank AbbVie and Crohn's and Colitis Australia for bringing this podcast to the Crohn's community. Before we sign off, we have some legal statements we need to make on their behalf. Firstly, everything we said is intended for an Aussie audience only, and our experiences or the things that work for us might not apply to you. So nothing that we, or even Dr. Ed says in these podcasts, can and replace the advice of your own healthcare professionals who understand your personal situation. If you want more information or advice on your specific situation or medical condition, please talk to your own healthcare team. They're the experts, not us, and not the interweb. And of course, all of our opinions and experiences are ours, and they do not necessarily represent the views of ABV and Crohn's and Colitis Australia, CCA. If you'd like to speak with someone about your management of IBD, then please contact CCA's IBD helpline on 1-800-138-029. If you'd like any information from AbbVie, please contact their medical information team at medinfoanz at abv.com That's M-E-D-I-N-F-O-A-N-Z at abbvie.com. Or call 1-800-043-460. Podcast ID AU-IMM-190034. Produced in May 2019. ABV Pty Ltd, Mascot New South Wales 2020.